Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The anticipation for our family camping trip in the Appalachians had been building for weeks. My parents, my younger sister, and I were all packed up and ready to embark on a memorable adventure in our RV. We set off, eager to explore the remote beauty of nature and create lasting memories together. After hours of driving, we found a secluded spot surrounded by dense forests. It was a perfect setting to connect with nature and escape the hustle and bustle of everyday life. We set up our camp, enjoyed a delicious dinner, and gathered around the campfire to share stories. As night fell, a tranquil silence enveloped our surroundings. The stars shone brightly overhead, and the rustling of leaves and the gentle breeze provided a soothing lullaby. However, as the night wore on, we began to hear strange, unfamiliar noises echoing through the forest. At first we dismissed them as the typical sounds of wildlife, but there was an eerie quality to them that sent shivers down our spine. Curiosity got the better of us the next morning, and we decided to investigate the source of those mysterious sounds. Stepping outside our EV, we were greeted by an unusual sight large footprints encircled our camping spot. The prints were massive, reminiscent of those attributed to creature like Bigfoot. Intrigued and slightly apprehensive, we followed the trail of footprints that led deeper into the woods. As we ventured further, the footprints seemed to appear out of nowhere and vanish just as mysteriously. The atmosphere became charged with an otherworldly energy, heightening our senses and intensifying the mystery. Our journey led us to the entrance of a cave, and as we cautiously approached, a massive figure emerged from the shadows. It was a creature of legendary proportions, resembling the elusive Sasquatch. Towering over us, its fur was a mix of earthy browns and grays, blending seamlessly with the surrounding forest. Its eyes, deep and knowing, 
held a certain wisdom that seemed to transcend our understanding. The creature appeared to be observing us as we fumbled to capture the moment on camera. However, as we raised our devices, it let out a low, guttural growl, signaling its discomfort. In an instant, it retreated into the dense foliage, disappearing like a phantom into the depths of the forest. Stunned and exhilarated, we returned to our RV, animatedly discussing the surreal encounter we had just experienced. We examined the photographs we managed to capture, but the elusive Sasquatch remained a blurry figure in the background. The rocky dirt road crunched beneath the truck's tires as I drove through the dense forest. Careful of the branches which overhung the path and scraped the windows, my eyes were darting around constantly, keeping an eye for wildlife and fallen trees. This far into Yosemite, there weren't many people, but as a park ranger, it's my job to patrol these woods and protect visitors from nature as much as possible, not to mention protecting nature from them. Especially this time of year when unlicensed hunters are out and clueless campers and amateur hikers are roaming alongside them. It's often a lethal combination. Just as I was thinking about amateur hikers, I saw a woman standing a little ways off the road. She was in a rock-strewn field on a slope leading up a hill to my left. Despite the fact that we were out in the middle of nowhere, she had no hiking equipment, no backpack, nothing. As I got closer, she saw me, but began to walk away, marching up the rocky slope. This far out in the middle of nowhere, I expected a wave or a hello at the very least. Most of the time, if you're out here on foot, you don't see anyone for days at a time. Hey, miss, are you okay? I yelled, worrying she was suffering from exposure. Sometimes people get lost out in these woods, and by the time you reach them, they're nearly catatonic. I'd seen it before. Men and women with a thousand-yard stare. She didn't respond, instead continuing up the slope until she reached the top. Then she disappeared into the tree line. The woman's face looked familiar. I realized and pulled up a file on my laptop. It showed people who had been reported missing in the area. It took a minute, but eventually I found the woman's file. There were photos that matched the person I had just seen exactly except her clothes were different, and the woman had been reported missing eight months prior. She should look considerably worse, I thought, especially considering her lack of supplies. These woods were harsh, brutal wilderness. Even experienced hikers and hunters had become lost in the area and had died from the elements. I quickly called into the station and told them what I'd seen, then grabbed my backpack and took off on foot running up the rocky slope towards the trees. If she continued at the pace she'd been moving, I had a good chance of catching up with her. At the top of the hill, I managed to find her tracks. I followed them into the woods, tracing a path through the trees. For almost an hour, I followed her path through the forest, becoming more and more convinced that I should have caught up with her. I realized something was wrong, and I had lost the trail. It was like the woman had vanished. I kept moving forward, thinking maybe I would pick up her tracks again. This happened sometimes, I knew as an amateur hunter. The quarry's path would disappear occasionally, only to reappear a little ways away. So I kept going, pushing aside branches and shrubbery, and moving ever deeper into the overgrown wilderness. And that was when I saw it. What the hell is that? I muttered to myself, not believing my own eyes as the object came into focus up ahead. It was a staircase that appeared out of the overgrowth, looking otherworldly in this environment. What is this doing out here? I realized I was talking to myself, but couldn't help it. I also couldn't seem to help the fact that I was steadily moving towards the staircase in the forest, despite a growing feeling which told me I should stay away. The closer I got to the stairs, the more I felt as if someone was watching me. The hair stood up on the back of my neck and goosebumps rose on my arms as I approached, moving closer and closer, until I was standing right in front of it. Strangely enough, the stairs looked relatively new. They appeared unassuming and normal in every way, except for their odd location. 
The wood was not weather-worn or moss-coated. It was clean, and I would guess it had been built in the last ten or twenty years. But the staircase ended after exactly thirteen steps. It was a staircase leading to nowhere. It was an eerie sight out here since I was well aware of how difficult it would be to construct them in the middle of nowhere. What was the purpose of them? Who would build them and why? Even as I was asking myself these questions, I found myself walking up the stairs. It was like I was in a dream. As my feet seemed to move involuntarily upwards, but the feeling of eyes on the back of my neck grew worse and worse with each step. And I could feel the weight of someone else's movements on the stairs with me. I was sure of it. Eventually, the paranoia became so overpowering that I had to turn around, feeling as if someone or something was definitely right behind me on the stairs. But when I turned around, there was no one there. Suddenly, I felt terrified as hell and started wondering what I'd been thinking climbing those stairs in the woods that shouldn't have been there. I started going back down, still feeling eyes watching me from all around. The trees nearby rustled with movement, and I saw a vague shape moving behind them. Hurrying the remainder of the way down the steps, I called out to the figure, thinking it was the woman I had seen earlier. Miss, if that's you, I've been looking all over for you. Are you all right? I asked the dark figure in the shadows, but it didn't move or respond. Instead, it just continued to watch me. Okay, lady, I can't help you if you don't. Suddenly, it occurred to me that the figure in the shadows was too tall to be the woman I'd seen earlier. It looked to be a person at least six, and a half feet tall, maybe more, and they were ducking behind a tree so as not to be seen clearly. The thing stood up even taller, and I realized it had been crouched down. It was enormous, its form impossible to examine in the low light, but it was definitely watching me. And there were more of them, I realized, my heart pounding faster and harder, until it felt like it was going to beat right out of my chest. I spun around, looking at the forest all around me, seeing shadow shapes everywhere. For a few long moments I was frozen, unable to move or breathe or think, and then I saw a long-fingered hand pushing back the foliage, preparing to emerge. That woke me up from my trance. Whatever these things were, I could tell they were not benevolent or good. They were creatures of darkness, luring people to them so they could feast on their minds. I tore my gaze away from it and began to run. Racing through the trees, I could sense them following after me. A platoon of lanky, impossibly tall creatures with long fingers. Were they the ones who had created the staircase out here? Were they aliens? Sasquatches? I had no idea, but every time I looked back over my shoulder, I saw them gaining on me. Vague shapes moving so quickly they blurred and were tough to make out. That was when I realized it was getting dark outside. But that didn't make sense, since when I'd set out, it had been the early morning hours. Around 8 a.m., checking my watch, I saw it was no longer functioning, nor were my cell phone or GPS devices working. With no other choice but to keep running, that's what I did. Bolting through the forest until eventually I found the rocky slope beside the dirt road where I'd left my truck. I ran right over the edge of the cliff, so terrified and frantic that I didn't see it coming. The things were just behind me by that point, and I was almost ready to resign myself to dying trying to fight them. Instead, I went tumbling down the rock-strewn hillside somersaulting and hitting my elbows, knees, shoulders, and skull off the boulders and stones. A mini avalanche ensued, and I went down hard, face-planting as my feet were unable to keep up with my momentum. A sharp pain struck me in the forehead, and I tasted blood in my mouth as my vision went dark. I laid in a pile of rubble and went to sleep. When I woke up, there was a park ranger standing over me, asking if I was okay. The weird thing was, I didn't recognize him. He looked familiar, he said, furrowing his brow. What's your name? I told him, and his jaw dropped, his face turning a shade paler. It can't be. Everybody thought you were dead. Looking around, I saw my truck was nowhere to be seen. It was a different season as well. The trees were turning slightly yellow when I went into the forest, an early signal of autumn. 
But now they were bright green, as they would be at the beginning of summer. What's the date today? I asked him. He told me, but I didn't believe him at first. You're making that up, I said, shaking my head. I just went into the woods for a couple hours to find the woman. That's when I remembered her again. Did anyone find her? Or is she still missing? Nobody's seen any woman. Just like nobody has seen you for eight months. His eyes were suspicious, and I realized he thought I was losing my mind. Or had lost it out in the forest. I shook my head and looked back into the woods. We gotta get a search party out there. Didn't you hear me? If you saw a woman when you went out there, she's long gone by now. My eyes stayed fixed firmly on the trees in the distance. Not for her. There's something else out there. I couldn't resist the pull of it and started wandering back up the rocky slope. It felt like I was an iron filing, and that staircase was a strong magnet drawing me towards it. We all need to go to it. The other ranger grabbed my arm and pulled me back, restraining me, yelling at me to calm down. It took five more men to get me to stop and to get me into the hospital. They keep telling me what I saw wasn't real, that I was suffering from exposure, that I got lost in the forest and hit my head suffering a concussion. The doctors say I hallucinated all of it, but I know what I saw, and as soon as I get out of this hospital, I'm going back. I work at a summer camp as a lifeguard slash counselor, and a couple years ago, we had a pretty creepy incident. I was 17 at the time, and it was my first year on camp staff. The staff is like a big family, and some of us like to hang out at night until completely insane hours, like 2 a.m. when we have to be up at 5.45 for work. Anyways, one night, one of our friends comes up to my group of friends and says that she thinks another counselor is following her around. It was 11 p.m. at that point, so there was no way he just happened to keep bumping into her. We started talking, and apparently this 15-year-old kid had been doing this for a few weeks, leading up to him kissing her out of the blue. Of course, we thought that was creepy as F, and we told her to go to her tent. She says she can't. This kid had been talking to her through the tent walls for a few nights, and she was scared he would try more. We agreed to stay with her until he went to bed at that point. After a few minutes of talking, the counselor in question walked up to our table and sat down. We were under a tent by the pool, but everything was dark except a light in the tent, so no one saw him coming. He started chatting with us like nothing was wrong. And after a few minutes, we decided to go on a hike to try and lose him. So it was almost midnight, and we were on a trail that took us to a clearing where we were hoping to hide. We made it to the clearing and sat down, and not 15 minutes later, he walked up to us again. It was pitch black outside, and we had no flashlight on. Creepy. Turns out he was using the Snapchat map to find us. It gave him a good enough location to go to, and then he just had to look for us. We ended up turning on ghost mode, and he suddenly stopped showing up. We called him into our boss, and they saw him walking around and questioned him. The worst part was what they found on him. He had a six-inch knife, rope, and an empty two-liter Nalgene bottle that smelled like someone had tried to get rid of the smell of alcohol. The night was as dark as ink, and I maneuvered my rig down a desolate stretch of highway that seemed to stretch into eternity. I'd heard stories of strange occurrences on this road, stories whispered among truckers at truck stops and gas stations, but I'd always dismissed them as products of overactive imaginations and the weariness that comes with long hours on the road. Tonight, however, I would become a believer. The road lay empty devoid of any other vehicles, and the only sound was the low rumble of my engine. The darkness pressed in from all sides, occasionally broken by the dim glow of my headlights. I had seen my fair share of eerie things during my years on the road, but this night promised to be different. As I rounded a bend, the beams of my headlights caught something unusual up ahead. I squinted at the figure in the road, attempting to decipher what I was seeing. 
It was no ordinary creature. This was the stuff of nightmares. The beast stood tall, on two legs like a man, yet its body was concealed beneath matted cream, red and brown fur. Its face was a grotesque blend of human and wolf-like features, high cheekbones framed eyes that glowed with an eerie yellow light. Its snout protruded from a feral mouth, spittle dripping from its lips. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized I was staring at the dogman. Time seemed to slow as the creature's gaze locked onto mine. Panic surged through me, but something held me in place, preventing me from tearing my gaze away from its malevolent stare. Fear washed over me in cold waves as I felt the truck's tires grind to a halt. The dogman's lips curled into a snarl, unveiling rows of sharp, gleaming teeth. It unleashed a bone-chilling roar that reverberated through the night, causing my eardrums to throb. Finally, my instincts kicked in, and I slammed my foot on the gas pedal, propelling the massive vehicle forward. The creature, seemingly startled by my determination, leaped backward, retreating into the darkness of the surrounding woods. My heart raced as I sped away from the nightmarish encounter, the memory of those yellow eyes etched into my mind. Hours later, I pulled into a run-down gas station, my hand still trembling on the wheel. I recounted my harrowing encounter to the skeptical attendant, who dismissed my story as the ramblings of a sleep-deprived trucker. But I knew what I had seen, and I knew I would never forget it. Okay, so five years ago, I was at my cousin's house for Thanksgiving. And let me preface this by saying they live on a very big hill, very small mountain, in South Carolina. Me and my cousin were walking down the hill into the woods. It was close enough to the house for us to see it, and it was about 2 p.m., roughly because that's our normal time for Thanksgiving gatherings. So we were walking down the mountain, and we stopped to do something. I do not remember what we were looking at, but it was completely silent. And then suddenly I heard a very, very loud gust of wind and extremely loud stomping. Like louder than a 500-pound man running through the forest. So I turned and saw about 80-ish feet away a glimpse of a white beige buttercolor furred thing on all fours. It sprints extremely loudly parallel to us and goes between some trees, and then it's dead silent again. The fur was long, like a long-haired dog's fur. It's hard to describe truthfully, but you can look up sheepdog for a good example. Anyways, I get scared, and me and my cousin run up the mountain to the house, and I ask him if he saw it too, and he said he did, but he didn't react much or act like it bothered him at all. Part of me suspects he thinks of making it up, and he is just playing along. Their family commonly makes up or exaggerates stories. Anyways, later, about an hour later, we went to that spot again, and this part is a bit fuzzy because I can't remember what part is real memory and what is fake memories my brain just randomly developed and added in. But where we were standing earlier in the story, there was what appeared to be a print in a bare spot of the ground. The leaves were moved. I don't fully remember what it looked like, but I remember thinking it was similar to a bear claw but different. I think it had six toes instead of five and a thumbish looking one. It was quite round too, I think, like a paw. Take that all with a grain of salt, though. The print memory is fuzzy. What could this be? My initial thought is a polar bear with some disability, but they don't live here. Then I thought it could be an albino bear but my cousin's bear watch, and they would have seen it again. Plus, it was dirty beige, white, not pure albino white. Plus, the sound randomly starting and stopping is weird. I'm at a loss. I was sent to a wilderness treatment program in southern Utah about a year ago. At the time... I didn't believe in skinwalkers, wendigos, or anything like that. Just to mess with a superstitious staff member, I would scream at the top of my lungs if there were any skinwalkers out there, 
you can suck a fat turd out of my Iowa A hole. Fast forward to early yesterday morning, around 3, 4 a.m. I was out hunting on a family property, taking aim at a big coyote and a pack of others. Suddenly, all the noises in the forest went completely silent, and the coyotes took off running. I grabbed my night vision binoculars and started looking around. I didn't see anything, but I smelled the worst rotting flesh smell ever. I closed the windows and blinds, laid down in my hunting shack, and kept my 911 close to me. I waited until 10 a.m., just lying there. Then I opened the door and bolted a good half mile to my truck, started it up, and took off. Also, there have been reports of cattle in the area turning up ripped apart and dead. I never had any of these issues before I got sent away, and I'm thinking one of those creatures followed me back here. I'm wondering what I'm dealing with, if I can kill it or get rid of it, and what the best course of action is. I won't go hunting again until I'm sure that thing is gone. I'm located in western Iowa, in the middle part. Any help is appreciated. Thanks in advance. I was fly fishing about an hour from my apartment here in Montana. I was generally familiar with the area and had fished that stream a couple times before. It was starting to get to dusk as I was making my way around the final bend before the stream ducked under a makeshift bridge that served as an informal trailhead. It could maybe fit one or two cars on the shoulder of the dirt road. However, there was clearly no cars or trucks parked there. I got up onto the bank and started walking toward the bridge and saw there were some small huckleberry bushes off the edge of the bank. I started picking some of the berries. It had been only a minute or two when out of nowhere I heard what sounded like a sizeball tree fall over. It scared the shit out of me because it was a calm summer night. No wind, nothing. The sound seemed like it was not more than a couple one hundred feet off. It got my blood going, but the curious thing was how it was dead silent after the crash. I figured if it was a bear or larger animal like a moose, I'd hear something. Shuffling feet, branches cracking in the distance. But I heard nothing. Now, I can't say this was Bigfoot, obviously, but it was something out of the ordinary that seemed more than just happenstance. This happened in 2011. I was maybe 12, 13 years old and was with my parents in Florida at a hotel, going to Disney soon for the first time. They wanted to get to Disney early, so we called a cab at around 6 or 7 a.m. since it was a decent drive. I remember being excited to just be in Florida since I live in New York. I watched out the window. The sun was up already, but the roads were very empty and quiet. We were traveling on a highway with dividers and highway on the other side parallel to us. And past the other side was tons of open green fields and wilderness which I was looking at. Being from New York, Long Island, I never saw such lush, flat fields of green. All of a sudden I noticed up ahead a tall, huge, dark figure at the edge of the road. It looked like he wanted to cross the highway, but he was stationary as we drove by. My first thought was, is that a billboard or something, since they have big billboards for ads on the highway. I glanced at it and suddenly got a sharp, intense feeling in my gut, like someone had punched me. I did a double take and stared at it as we drove by. It looked human-shaped, but like a huge, dark mass with thick, almost black fur and a weird-shaped head. And it was definitely alive, and it wasn't human. I remember saying, Mom, look at that big thing standing there, but she was busy looking at the map and ignored me. I was intrigued, and it was at the back of my mind the entire vacation. When we got home, I started looking into it and learned about Bigfoot and other cryptids and became obsessed. I saw the skunk ape Bigfoot of Florida. It looked exactly like it. My parents don't believe me, but I know what I saw, and it gave me an intense physical reaction that something wasn't right. It was my instincts.
During Vietnam, I and six other men were on a squad night patrol setting up our temporary camp. It was nighttime. I was nervous because it was pitch black. We were very limited on light, only having the stars above. I looked off in the distance, and I could see these huge eyes staring right at us. It was not moving or making any sound. I contacted my platoon sergeant, advised him of what it is. He told me to keep calm and keep an eye on it while he gets back to me. Some minutes later, he alerted me that there is supposed to be no enemy in the area, but he will send up flares to see if it's really what I was seeing. They warned they would only release three flares. It might not really be necessary. A couple of moments later, three flares popped up into the dark night sky, and I saw this creature was now only about 30 feet away. The eyes I saw in the distance were another one. There were multiple of them, and unbeknownst to us, they had begun moving closer in the darkness. They were about eight to nine feet tall, large heads, eyes that were glowing just like stars. They also had two large antennae on top of their head resembling some sort of insectoid. The body was like that of a man, but it kind of had scales and looked somewhat reptilian, as if burned and distorted by acid or fire. On its back it had a small pair of wings, and on the end of its trunk there were two very sharp-looking spikes and appendages which kind of resembled horns. If there was ever a mantis man, this was it. It also had claws on all of its limbs. I could see it was holding something in its claws as if it was about to swing, although I couldn't make out what it was. I froze, not believing. What I was seeing, and it stood there watching me for about five minutes, just lingering before disappearing. Back in the dark, the whole incident was maybe ten to fifteen minutes the next day, my sergeant suggested that I should visit the commanding officer, the CEO, to give him a better look at what I saw. So the CEO asked me to sit down and draw a sketch of this creature. As I was drawing it, he looked horrified, as if he himself had already seen the thing. When I finished drawing, he said to me, Soldier, I want you to remember that day as if it was your last day on earth. Try to punctuate every last detail. I did so, and afterward he told me and looked very grieved. He just explained, I want you to forget everything that happened that night. He dismissed me. I never told anybody about this incident until now. I thought nobody would believe me, so I just kept my mouth shut. I cannot sleep the whole night. The next day I went to a medic, told him how I was terrified by what he saw. He actually gave me a shot of something that knocked me out cold for seven hours but not really sleep. I never had any other incidents with this creature, but I have heard of stories from friends who served over there during Vietnam as well. They told me they were terrified by this creature, running away from it, but it had chased them and actually eaten several other men. One of my friends explained to me how one of these creatures had jumped on their friends and drowned them in one of the rivers. It was like no other mantis or creature I've ever seen or heard of, even though I know there's all sorts of horrors that light in the jungles. I'm still terrified even now as I recall this event and still have problems sleeping at night. I would love to forget it, but if one day if I pass away and enter to heaven, what will happen if I see this creature again? People have been asking me for a name for this creature, but nobody knows what to call it. For the time being, I will call it a manticore because it reminded me of a mantis man. The house I lived in with my dad, stepmom, and stepsister when I was in high school was super haunted. My dad and stepmom recently sold the house. God willing, I'll never have to go back, so I figured it was safe enough to tell some of the stories from my 
and 365-day returns. Time there. This story is from just a week or two after we moved in. Our house sat on a pretty steep incline. In the back, there was room for a concrete patio and a little space for a vegetable garden. Past that, the ground sloped steeply up into very thick woods that were full of oak, birch, and pine trees. The woods were pretty wild, but there was an obvious path that led straight off from our property into the thicket. It ignited my stepsister's curiosity as soon as she saw it. She was a few years younger than me. I think she was about 12 when we moved in, and I would have been 14 or 15. Rita, my stepsister, was on me from the second we moved in to go into the woods with her. I used to go hiking with my dad before he started dating my stepmom, so to her that made me an expert on nature. But the thickness of the underbrush in the woods behind the house really put me off. Eventually, I gave in to Rita's constant wheedling and agreed to explore the woods behind the house. I talked Rita into putting on long pants to protect from brambles, and we set out into the woods. The incline was really steep and only got steeper the further we went in. The weeds and brambles along the forest floor were thick and cloying, clinging to our pants' legs and pricking at our skin, even through our jeans. The path we were following was narrow and roamed left to right, seeking the easiest way past trees and bushes. It was probably a path used by deer and foxes, and we struggled to follow it. I remember Rita saying, This is so cool. It's a for-real forest right behind our house, and trying not to scoff where she could hear or see it. I already felt like I was too old to play around in the woods. Those thoughts aside, I thought it was unwelcoming and king of creepy. Definitely not the kind of place I would have wanted to play even when I was her age. It was quiet in the woods. As we stepped deeper and higher, the incline just kept going up and, and up. We didn't hear any bird sounds, insects. It seemed like the only sound was what our feet made as they pushed through the underbrush and what the wind made as it blew hot, sticky summer air against our backs. After a few minutes of hard going, the incline started to even out, and soon we were walking downward, the forest floor now sloping away down into a valley. Have you ever been out in the woods like this before? Rita asked, holding onto the back of my shirt as she cautiously descended down deeper into the woods. She was stepping carefully in my footsteps as she picked her way down. Not like this, I told her, holding on to a crooked tree as I held a hand out to help her over a fallen log. We went to public parks, mostly. They maintain their forests so they aren't congested like this. Isn't it exciting to have this as our backyard? She asked with a smile, her hand small and strong in mine as she hauled herself over the tree. Yeah, it is pretty nice. I agreed even though I privately thought that the woods were too wild to be much fun to walk in. We had only been hiking for maybe 15 minutes and I was already starting to breath faster due to the harsh incline. We went a little farther and heard the sound of running water. It was the first sound other than the wind that we had heard since entering the woods. A stream, Rita exclaimed. Do you think it's at the bottom of the valley? She asked excited. Yeah, probably, I grunted, but don't rush. You don't want to fall and get hurt in here. I kept a hand out to help her along all the same. The image of her with a twisted ankle. Her broken leg filled me with anxiety, and I tried to keep a hand on her as she hurried ahead of me. The stream was at the bottom of the valley, a small but fast-moving creek that was perfectly clear. The bottom was covered in a fine silt and tiny, rounded stones. Looking close, we saw that there were little minnows swimming at the edges where the current wasn't as fast. We both took off our shoes and socks, rolled up our pant legs, and waded into the water. In the center, it came up to our calves, and the current was swift. The water was blessedly cool and felt great against my feet. Rita was delighted, picking up stones to put in her pockets and watching the little fish swim around her feet and brush against her toes. For the first time since we started to push through the woods, I was happy that Rita had suggested it. This was a great find and was worth the hard work to get to it. 
Then, seemingly out of the blue, I was struck with this strong feeling that I was being watched. It was bright, even that deep in the woods. The air was hot, and the wind through the trees was humid. Even so, I got a cold chill that ran down my back, and suddenly my throat and stomach were in knots. There was some part of my brain, like this primal hand brain, that pricked up and said, Holy five, you're in danger. I froze, barely daring to breathe, and looked around as much as I could without moving my head, and I saw it. I'm still not really sure what it was. It was standing further down the stream, which steadily moved lower between the hills. It was standing up straight and perfectly still in the center of the stream, watching us. Small trees and shrubs grew all along the creek and leaned into the space above it to stretch for sunlight. This made it hard to see the person or figure through them. Their face was obscured by branches and leaves, but I could make out a little of their body, and everything about it made me feel something was wrong, down to the marrow in my bones. They were in a human shape, standing up, arms at their sides, their legs straight knees locked. The water was visibly burbling around their shins, so they were displacing the water. But they were completely black, not like matty black, like they were painted black or wearing black clothing like a complete absence of light and color, as if their shape was punched out of the air around them. I grabbed Rita's arm as she danced past me, probably too hard for someone so much smaller than me. I remember in the corner of my eye I saw her turn to me with a narrow look, like she thought she was going to fight me. Then she looked where I was looking and saw it. I was able to watch out of the corner of her eye as her body went through the same things mine had. She froze, her eyes went wide, her breathing shallow. Then I felt her muscles tense and her knees bend. I realized we were like deer who had just spotted a predator. Some part of us realized we were prey, and that the next few seconds would decide if we got out of this or not. With a single shove, I pushed us both into movement. Rita took off up the embankment into the woods with a kind of grace and brutality I didn't realize she was capable of. Without her shoes, she leapt from rock to root to fallen tree, like it was something she had done every day for years. Being bigger and bulkier than her, I didn't feel nearly as graceful, but I felt that my panic and the adrenaline pounding between my ears made up for it. I kept up with her, pushing her with a hand between her shoulder blades or at the seat of her butt whenever I caught up. Behind us, there was the horrible silence. We were a cacophony of crashing noises ripping through the woods and all around us. No birds sang, no insects chirped, not even the wind whistled through the trees. That whole run back through the woods was a blur. I never once looked back for fear of what I would see, and I didn't see Rita look back either. I kept my eyes glued to her back, carefully watched her every footfall in constant fear that she would slip or fall, but she never did. Once we crashed back through the edge of the woods and into our yard, it was like the sound was suddenly turned back on. Not that Rita or I cared. We continued running as fast as our bodies would take us for the house, and once inside, we slammed the back door shut, and I slid the deadlock home. I pressed my back against the door with my breath heaving for a moment before running to the front door and locking it as well. Then I went window to window on the first floor making sure they were all locked and that the curtains were pulled. Only once that was done did I collapse onto the living room floor with Rita. We left our shoes and socks by the creek, she wheezed, sticking her muddy feet into the air where I could see them. Who cares? I gasped back. I'll tell Dad I lost them, I had added. That was really the start of it all. After it happened for a while, Rita and I assumed we had left whatever it was down in the creek. We knew our parents wouldn't believe us, so we never brought it up to them. But we didn't leave it behind. It followed us home, and it made the next few years in that house utter hell. I have a lot more stories to tell about what happened after that. I'll work on typing up the rest in the next few days. General Harrison's solemn voice echoed through the television speakers as he addressed the nation. His military uniform and stern expression 
conveyed a sense of urgency and gravity. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow citizens, he began, I stand before you today not as a soldier, but as a concerned citizen. The Secret Service, in collaboration with other government agencies, has uncovered undeniable proof that our national forests and parks are now infested by unknown predators. I implore you all to exercise extreme caution and vigilance when visiting these areas. Stay safe and report any unusual sightings or encounters to the authorities. The General's message sent ripples of unease through the country. People began to speculate about what kind of creatures could have infiltrated the pristine wilderness of their beloved national parks. While some dismissed it as a hoax, others heeded the warning and canceled their camping and hiking plans. Among the cautious was myself, a seasoned hiker with a penchant for exploring the wilds of Yosemite National Park. The temptation of the untouched wilderness proved too strong and I decided to undertake a solo hike on one of Yosemite's more popular trails. The sun bathed the forest in a gentle golden light as I ventured deeper into the wilderness. The scent of pine and earth filled the air, a soothing balm to my senses. The hike was uneventful until I began to detect an ominous odor, a foul stench of decay that hung in the air like a sinister omen. Unable to resist my curiosity, I followed the pungent trail of the rancid odor, straying from the beaten path. My heart pounded in my chest as I ventured further into the undergrowth. The scent grew stronger, and my instincts warned me that something was terribly wrong. Emerging into a small clearing, my eyes widened with disbelief, and my heart threatened to escape my chest. There before me stood an unknown predator a creature unlike anything I had ever seen or heard of before. It was massive, easily towering at eight feet in height, its body covered in dark gray fur with streaks of brown, giving it a menacing appearance. Its mane, reminiscent of a male lion's, framed its elongated face, and its eyes gleamed with an eerie intelligence. This enigmatic beast walked upright on its back legs, a bizarre sight that defied nature's laws. Paralyzed by fear and fascination, I watched as it transitioned to all fours and bolted away at an unimaginable speed, disappearing into the forest. I knew I should have retreated, but an inexplicable urge to understand this cryptid overcame me. Slowly I advanced, hoping to get a closer look. The creature must have sensed my approach, for it suddenly stopped and turned toward me. It unleashed a deafening roar, a primal sound that reverberated through the forest. Terror surged through me like an electric shock, and I turned and sprinted back in the direction I had come from. My breath ragged and panicked. I ran for what felt like an eternity, my heart racing, my mind consumed by fear. After what seemed like an eternity, I glanced over my shoulder and realized that the creature was no longer pursuing me. Exhausted and trembling, I finally came to a halt, my legs threatening to give way beneath me. My mind was a whirlwind of confusion, and I struggled to comprehend the reality of what I had just witnessed. What was that creature, and how had it come to inhabit Yosemite's wilds? As I sat there gasping for breath, a profound sense of unease washed over me. General Harrison's warning echoed in my mind, and I couldn't help but wonder if my encounter was part of a larger, unsettling phenomenon. The unknown predators had become a chilling reality, and the secrets of the wilderness held mysteries far more terrifying than I could have ever imagined. The drive through this part of Nevada was beautiful. The tall cliffs were lined by majestic pines while the road leisurely wound through the scenery. But no matter how amazing the view was, it couldn't change the fact that I was out here to deal with something incredibly unpleasant. My brother Jason worked as a park ranger until he suddenly went missing one night. No one knows exactly what happened. From all appearances, he seemed to have gotten up from the ranger station to check on something routine and never came back. There was an extensive search, but nothing turned up. The ranger station had been found exactly as it should be. There were no signs of a struggle, 
No strange tire tracks or footprints leading away from the park, and no eyewitnesses who reported seeing Jason anywhere after that. So here I was trying to do what everyone in my family wanted me to do and see if I could find anything. Was I optimistic? Not really, but stranger things have happened in life. All I knew was that I was here to look around, and that was what I was going to do. It was late afternoon by the time I arrived at my destination. The town the park was located by was as average as could be. A main street lined with a variety of shops and stores and residential areas that branched off it. A place you've seen on a thousand brochures and postcards. I parked in front of the local pizza restaurant. Not only was I hungry, this would be a great opportunity to see what people around here were like. If they were open and welcoming, especially if I mentioned my brother, I'd know what I was dealing with. If not, that meant something was up, and I would get out of there as quickly as possible. The pizza place had a few customers this time of day, so I got right in at a table in the middle of the restaurant. I decided on a medium pepperoni pizza and relaxed in my seat while sipping my water. Once I was done eating my pizza, which was very good, I paid the bill and left a generous tip and headed to the park my brother had worked at for two years, until he vanished one night. The park looked like any other I'd seen, well-maintained, neat, and orderly, the kind of place you'd like to have a picnic in. But of course, nature is like anything else. What you see on the surface is only a fraction of what is really going on. I drove up the neatly landscaped driveway and parked in front of the ranger station. My shoes crunched on the gravel as I got out of the car and approached the building. I was expecting an old rustic cabin, but this ranger station was relatively modern, with large bay windows and a gleaming metal facade. I approached the front door, knocked, and waited. A moment later, it opened and a man in a ranger uniform looked at me. How can I help you? he asked. I'm Alex, Jason's brother. I'm here for some information. Oh, I see. Come right in. The ranger held the door open and pointed to a sitting area. I'll let the boss know you're here. Can I get you something to drink? I'm fine, thank you. All right, we'll be right with you. And with that, the ranger hustled down the hallway and I was left alone. I hadn't given anyone a heads up I was coming. I didn't want anyone to prepare for my arrival. My brother had gone missing several weeks ago. It was just a question of why. I don't believe he just ran off for no reason, so that meant there had to be a reason why, and everyone, me included, wanted to know what that was. Since he went missing at work, it seemed obvious to be work-related, but it was entirely possible that it was connected to something else. It could have been something he encountered while at work, but had nothing to do with the job itself. Personally, I've never been a huge fan of camping or anything like that. I certainly appreciate nature, but I'm definitely more of the stay inside and read a book type. Jason was always much more enthusiastic about the outdoors, and it wasn't a surprise to anyone when he became a park ranger. Just like it was no surprise to anyone when I became an architect, and here we were. At that moment, an older man who was also in a ranger uniform came out and faced me. Alex. Yes. I'm Tim, park manager. He shook my hand firmly. Nice to meet you, I said. Likewise, Jason was a good ranger, and we all liked him. So if I can be of any help, don't hesitate to ask. I appreciate that. And what I need now is information, Tim nodded. Of course. Why don't you follow me to my office? He led the way to his office, a small room with a neat view of the park entrance. Once I sat down in a chair facing his desk, and he leaned back in his desk chair, we started talking again. I would love to say we have new information for you, but we don't, and it bothers me. We've never had an incident like this in the history of this park, I see. The only other thing I can think to add is that about a week or so after he vanished, I was out on my route checking on things, and I could feel someone watching me, just for a moment, but it was there and I had no idea who was responsible, because when I looked around, I didn't see anyone. Interesting. Do you mind if I ask you a question? Not at all. What do you think happened to your brother? I've thought about that a million times. The honest answer is I don't know, but I don't believe he just ran off. That isn't Jason. 
That's fair. And for what it's worth, I don't believe it either. All right. Now it's my turn to ask you something. What are the odds that something happened to Jason out here? Tim paused as he considered my question. Somewhat possible. I've always liked working here, but the woods are the woods. And things happen out there. No doubt. Okay. The next logical step is to think that if something happened in the woods, where exactly was it most likely? Are there any locations around here something odd tends to happen at? Places people tend to steer clear of if they can avoid it. Doesn't have to be in the park. But around town, Tim chuckled. Oh, that would be the old quarry. No doubt about it. Or more exactly, what's left of the old quarry. You know, mining used to be the big industry out here. I do. What's happened at the old quarry? That I know of, the usual things people would prefer to forget. And that's just what we know of. Can you point me towards it? Tim stood up from his desk. I can do better than that. I can show you where it is. Great. Tim led the way in his truck, and we were there in 15 minutes. We parked on a small cliff overlooking the quarry itself, which was now filled with water. A group of five people were sitting further down on the cliff, and they glanced at the two of us with slight interest when they saw our cars pull up. When we got out of our vehicles, we briefly glanced at each other, and Tim gave me a slight nod of encouragement. Then I stepped forward. I'm looking for some information. My brother's gone missing. He was a park ranger. If you can help, you'll be compensated for it. Then I took out my phone, pulled up a picture of Jason, and held it up so they could see it. The group all looked at the photo for a second. After a moment, I saw one of the guys do a double take. I've seen him. The guy nodded less than a month ago. I got chills as he said this because that would be right about the time Jason went missing. Where was he? The wistful pines in. It's a hotel about an hour away, Tim said. What was he doing? Nothing in particular. Just hanging around near the road from what I could tell. But from the look in his eyes, he seemed very focused on something. Thank you for your help. I reached in my pocket and gave him a $100 bill. Then Tim and I headed for the wistful Pines Inn. It was your typical roadside motel with two stories and a swimming pool in front. There was also a small sign advertising where the front office was. So I headed there while Tim stayed in his truck. Standing at the front desk was an older woman with long silver hair. Hello, how can I help you? She asked politely. My brother went missing in the area about a month ago, and I was wondering if maybe you'd seen him here. Then I showed her the photo. There were no signs she'd ever seen him before. No, I'm sorry. I don't recall seeing him here. I put my phone away. Thank you, but that doesn't mean he wasn't here. Just that I didn't see him. What was his name? I gave her Jason's full name, and she deftly typed it into the computer in front of her and paused for a moment. Nope. Nothing in our records either. We don't have security cameras, so there's nothing to check there, I'm afraid. I really appreciate your help. It was a long shot anyways. A tip. She nodded. I see. Well, your tip may be right after all, because strictly between us. Her voice lowered a bit. A film crew was staying here for about a week while they were in the area to film part of a documentary. They haven't been seen since the night before last. The idea settled in the air uneasily as she pressed a few buttons on the computer before turning the screen so I could see it. On it was a local news article about the film crew who was in town to do a piece about abandoned mines. The film crew all looked to be close to me in age, and by all appearances, they seemed happy and content. Thanks for telling me. Sure. I have no idea what happened, but good luck with finding your brother. Come back if you need anything else. Thank you. Then I left the office and told Tim what I found out. He sat there quietly for a moment before he started talking. We've dealt with a lot of people wanting to get footage of this or that over the years. It's amazing, really. How nature can be dangerous enough when you know what you're doing and have tons of experience. No doubt, is it possible that they disappeared not just because they were filming, but because of what they were filming? Tim considered it for a moment. Absolutely. Just a thought. No, I get it. It's a valid question. 
We have no idea what they were filming, but we can always double-check. It's certainly possible that they were filming something completely routine and stumbled onto something they didn't intend to. I shivered slightly at the thought. One person going missing could have many explanations. Two going missing doesn't have as many possibilities, but a number of scenarios could have happened depending on the circumstances. But a group, that's inherently unsettling because it strongly suggests something bad had happened. But with nothing left to go on, I had no choice but to call it a day. Especially since I had actually accomplished something since I got here. So I grabbed some dinner at a local diner and planned to go back to my hotel room. I had just gotten in my car when there was a knock on the driver's side window. My jaw dropped when I looked up and saw Jason. He was dressed casually in clothes that looked a little beat up. But there was no mistaking my brother. I immediately opened the door and climbed out of the car so I could take a good look at Jason. His clothes were worn. He'd been spending a lot of time outdoors. And he looked a little gaunt, but it was him. I never thought I'd ever see Jason again. I thought he was lost forever, so I was ecstatic to see him. I could barely believe this was happening. Good to see you, Alex, he said nonchalantly, as if our meeting was the most routine thing in the world. What is going on here? I failed to keep the shock out of my voice. I ran. From what? Them. The simplicity of the response was chilling. It said so little and so much at the same time. Them, I asked. Let's just say I was out in the woods and it turns out I wasn't alone. I barely got away. The film crew that vanished. I don't know anything about that, but it doesn't surprise me. We need to get out of here. Right now. From the look in his eyes, I knew Jason was seriously afraid of something. And since I'd accomplished what I set out to do here, I had no reason or desire to stay. So I got back in the car, he hopped in beside me, and I pulled out of the parking lot. How did you know I was here? I asked him once we were heading down the road. I've seen you around town. Where should we go? Away from here. Got it. Can I ask why? Of course. While working at the park, I'd heard rumors of the area's past. By now, I'm sure you know it used to be a prosperous mining area a few decades ago. Or at least it was until there was a nasty accident that resulted in the mining company closing down after a bunch of people died in the mine. After there was a cave-in. I heard rumors that there were a few people that survived the accident but never came out of the mine and vanished into the hills. I'd always considered it just a campfire story until one night a few weeks ago. A group of people came out of nowhere, chased me into a cave, and I'd thought I'd never get out. When I was finally able to escape, I was in the middle of nowhere and had to use my outdoors experience to find my way back here. Especially since I had no idea how many were out there or if I was being followed. That was why everyone thought I'd disappeared. If anyone could make it through that, it would be you. Appreciate it. The road we were on had narrowed down to one lane, and I was acutely aware that we were surrounded by tall trees on this stretch of road. But when the road turned and I saw the road was blocked by a massive fallen tree, my stomach clenched and I felt my blood freeze in my veins. I quickly tried to back up, but when I did, I felt the tires run over something, and I knew they would be flat in no time at all. I didn't dare get out of the car. That was what whoever was behind this wanted. So I took a deep breath and looked outside. Darkness had settled on the area, and there were only a few street lights illuminating the road out here. But even that was enough light for me to see some shadows moving at the far end of the road by the woods coming slowly towards us. The sight made me grip the steering wheel so hard my knuckles turned white. What do we do? I managed to ask Jason. Stay calm. They want us to panic. Before he could say another word, headlights blazed to life out of a cluster of trees to our right, and I thought for sure the vehicle they belonged to was going to crash straight into us. But I watched as the vehicle in question, a small RV, roared past us, parked alongside us on the curb, and the driver's side window rolled down. I got another shock when I realized it was one of the members of the missing film crew. Get in, she yelled to us. 
She didn't need to tell us twice. Jason and I immediately got out of my rental car and ran to the UV's door and climbed inside. Once Jason slammed the door shut, the driver immediately took off and we were out of there. As I tried to catch my breath, I found myself face to face with the rest of the film crew who were sitting comfortably around the RV's interior. Thanks, I said once I'd sat down on the floor. No problem, a woman with curly blonde hair who was sitting in an armchair said. We'd been watching what they were up to for hours. We knew they were up to something. We were just waiting for them to act so we could do something about it. Is that why no one's seen you guys for a while? Jason asked. A guy sitting on the couch nodded. Yes. We'd stumbled upon them while researching a different abandoned mine, and it became the subject of our footage. Are you that park ranger who went missing? Hmm? Huh? Jason said. I stumbled across them, too. Jason and the film crew talked for the rest of the drive until we eventually made our way back to town and went straight to the police. After we explained what happened and the film crew showed them the footage they had, the police went out to where my rental car had been left on the road. It was just as we'd left it. They searched the area thoroughly and nothing ever turned up. But at least now everyone knows to be alert, and that's something. After that, Jason came home, and everyone was beyond stunned by what happened. No one was surprised when he took another park ranger job, but this time much closer to home. The documentary the crew had been working on was eventually released and won some awards. Jason and I even went along to a few showings to talk to the audience. It was definitely a unique experience.